Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. Your brain can't save you. Your heart can't save you. Your will can't save you. Your gut can't save you. Jesus can save you. So don't rely on anything other than God. Don't rely on that because that's an idol. And that's why the book of Micah is written to the nation of Israel. God's like, okay, time's up. And for every single person, the clock runs out eventually. We are amazing creations of God, but we aren't more powerful than our Creator. We aren't smart enough, good enough, or strong enough to save ourselves. But are we trusting in our own strength? Today, Pastor James warns us to put our trust in God and to be careful that we don't make ourselves or anything else into an idol. Don't put your confidence in man-made things. They're not going to save you. Trust in the resurrection and the power that comes from God through His Holy Spirit. Only Jesus can save. Now turn in your Bible to the book of Micah chapter 3 for today's edition of Bread for the Broken. We are getting into the book of Micah, just so you understand where we're at in the book of Micah. Micah is a minor prophet. I think Micah is like the second biggest minor prophet book out of all 12 minor prophets. Minor meaning they're just shorter than the major ones. The major ones are Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. I mean, those are multiple chapter books. What's fascinating about Micah is he's just a, a good old Southern prophet. That's who he is. He's a Southern boy and from Israel and Kind of like our buddy Amos, if you were with us for the study of Amos, Amos was just a dude picking figs off of trees, and he was just a good old country boy. And Micah's kind of the same guy, same country boy kind of guy, but his ministry lasted for 30 years, at least. And you only get like seven little chapters about one really singular message the Lord delivered through him, which should be kind of encouraging for all of us, because we think our lives have to be this big, grandiose think, that somehow we're going to be remembered long after we're gone. You're not, spoiler, I'm sorry, Um, but your family will love you and hopefully carry on your memory. But here's Micah, a faithful prophet of God, used to write a book or a letter that was forever preserved in the Word of God. And for 30 years, God's like, I just need you to write seven chapters. I just need you to write one little letter. That's all I need you to do. It'll forever be in stone, so to speak because not one single word will pass away from the word of God. It'll never go away. So Mike is just, he's just a prophet. He has been put into practice or commissioned by God to deliver a message that is very unpopular in his day. Nation of Israel as a whole, I know the nation has split off. After Solomon, the nation was divided into two separate kingdoms, basically. You got the northern and the southern So you have Israel is the north, and then Judah is the southern part of that. And so Micah's ministry is to both. And the problem with both, I'm just going to say all of Israel, is that they've walked away from God, and they've completely, they've reneged on the contract. It wasn't even a contract. It was a covenant by God, which we saw back in the book of Exodus. Then we were reminded of it again in Leviticus and in Numbers. God had entered into a covenant with the nation of Israel 
he held up his end and he told them, as long as you follow me, you have nothing to worry about. As long as you follow me, you have nothing to worry about. And they were like, yeah, that sounds great. We will do that. And God, you better hold on because we're going to be better than what you think, right? Like they had this arrogant kind of attitude of like, of course, we're going to follow you. And it wasn't too much longer that they completely fell off into idolatry. And this is kind of where Micah is. I mean, you're, you're hundreds and hundreds of years steeped into idolatry when you get to Micah. So they got idols all over the place. They're doing some excavations. They're always doing excavations in Israel and then specifically in Jerusalem. And they have excavated different parts of there where Micah's time would have been. And they're finding all these little idols everywhere. So they just were these little carbon, carved statues and everything. They just, they had them everywhere. And God's like, because of those things, judgment's coming. So he's not mean. He's just. He's warned them for, <laughs> for hundreds of years, if not thousands. You cannot serve idols. You can't serve these deaf, blind, dumb, mute things. Things fashioned by your own hands will never rescue you. This wonderful thing that is encased within your skull, it's not going to rescue you. You got a beautiful brain. Use it as much as you can. Defy the odds. I don't even know. They say like 10%. That's what we use of our brain. I don't think that's true, but what do I know? Probably only using 10%, okay? So what do I know? But defy the odds. It's a beautiful thing, but your brain can't save you. Your heart can't save you. Your will can't save you. Your gut can't save you. Jesus can save you. So don't rely on anything other than God. Don't rely on that because that's an idol. And that's why the book of Micah is written to the nation of Israel. As God's like, okay, time's up. And for every single person, the clock runs out eventually. For humanity, the clock runs out eventually. And it's better that we learn the lessons now. And that's why God sends prophets. He's like, I'm sending you a prophet. So he will proclaim the difficult message that I want him to say to you so that hopefully you have ears to hear and you receive that and you change your ways. The problem with having good prophets is there's also bad prophets. They're called false prophets. So as Micah is delivering this message that God actually gave to him, you have a whole bunch of false prophets who are making a ton of money saying, no, 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 no. Don't listen to that crazy guy because everything he says sounds really mean, doesn't it? He keeps calling you a sinner, right? Doesn't that hurt your feelings? Don't listen to him. You're really just an amazing person. You should never change who you are, right? Like, and you're like, well, that. That doesn't sound like the Bible, but it makes me feel good. No, that's warning flags. That's danger. This is what Micah was competing against, where false prophets saying, God didn't say that. He actually is promising you peace. And Micah can hear the footsteps of the soldiers on their way to Israel. You don't have peace. You lost it. You've lost it. Time's up. So as he's writing this letter, chapter 1 and chapter 2, or basically chapter 1's like, God stepping into the courtroom scenario. This whole book is essentially like a, a court procedure that happens. So God is stepping into this courtroom thing, and he's bringing his accusations against Israel, all of Israel, both north and the southern kingdom, and they stand guilty. And he's going to list everything that they're guilty of. And so he does that in chapter 1. He also does it in chapter 2. 
And just so you understand this about Micah, still doing a little bit of background research on him as an individual, which we don't know a lot about him. But what we do know is he's kind of like a, a literary genius, is what I've kind of discovered in doing some more research on him. This is kind of what makes him a genius. He really loves puns. I don't know if you speak in pun, but most of you do, and almost all dad jokes are pun-based, right? But he has this literary style of using puns, which not many other writers would ever use. There's one who would use it. His name is William Shakespeare. So it's like Mike is almost on the same level as like William Shakespeare and his poetic ability to communicate truth, which is kind of cool for a good old Southern country boy, right? You're like, wow, props to Micah. That's awesome. Like, he has this way of communicating difficult truths to these people. And so you go through chapter two. Chapter two kind of lines out some of the, the sins that they were committing. Essentially, what was going on is the rich were exploiting the poor, is what was happening, okay? So he's bringing these accusations against them. They're taking advantage of the poor. They're robbing the poor of their land. It's just, it's horrible. They also were rejecting the word of God, Chapter 2, verses 6 through 11 speaks to that. And they just completely abandoned the word of God. And then, true to his word, God said that you defile the land, the land's going to reject you. That was back in Leviticus, Leviticus 18. And essentially, this is where we're getting to, is where the land rejects Israel by way of foreign invaders coming in and taking them captive. But he ends chapter 2 with a promise of hope which is kind of nice, right? Because it's hard to hear bad, bad, bad. You're a sinner, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. And you're like, is there anything good? Like, yeah, there actually is something good. God will gather the remnant who are left, is what verse 12 of chapter 2 says. God will spare a remnant. God always spares a remnant. He always spares a remnant. So never think that you're alone. If you think that you're alone, that's a lie from the enemy, number one. Okay, he wants you to feel isolated so that he can get you into a depressed state of mind. Woe is me. It's only me, God. It's only me. That's not true. And that hasn't been true for anybody in world history. But the greatest of the prophets felt the same way. Elijah was like, oh, it's just me. Woe is me. It's just me. These birds keep magically bringing me food, which is pretty awesome. But he's like, it's only me. God's like, no, it's not only you. It's not only you. You're not the only one. He'll always have a remnant. My ministry philosophy from youth ministry, even until this day, is you just run with the remnant. Run with who God has. That's it. Run with the remnant. Just keep going. Just keep going. So he transitions into chapter 3, and he's going to address the leaders and the false prophets, and he's going to bring up all these other accusations concerning these guys. And, and this is chapter 3 and chapter 4, technically a it's a shift. Like one and two are kind of collectively their own thing. And he grabs hold of your attention in chapters one and two by saying, please pay attention. And here in chapter three, he's going to say that again. Please listen to this. He says, I said, listen, you leaders of Israel, you are supposed to know right from wrong, but you are the very ones who hate good and love evil. Sounds like our world. Sounds like our world. Hate good, love evil. Yeah, that's our, the mantra of the day. Despise what is good and, and embrace what is evil. Embrace what is wicked. He says, you skin my people alive and tear the flesh from their bones. Yes, you eat my people's flesh, strip off their skin and break their bones. You chop them up like meat for the cooking pot. Then, 
you beg the Lord to help in times of trouble. But you are massacring God's people. You're calling out to God like, God, you got to help me. You got to come through for me. And he's like, are, are you done slaughtering my sheep? Oh, you want me to come to your rescue? What about the rescue of the ones that you just completely devoured? You beg the Lord for help in times of trouble. Do you really expect him to answer? The answer to that is, you shouldn't. You shouldn't. And in fact, God is going to go silent for Israel for 400 years. He will go silent. He says, after all the evil you have done, he won't even look at you. God turns his face away from you. So there is some self-reflection that has to happen within this. Okay? I would assume that you are not devouring sheep among our congregation. I would hope that that's not happening. One way to know that if you are taking advantage of other people is if God is no longer listening to you or hearing your prayers. If there's sin going on, you need to confess it. You got to own it. Why would we expect God to come to our rescue when all we're doing is just everything contrary to what he's asked us to do? These are for the leaders. This isn't just everybody. This is the leaders. You're supposed to know right from wrong. You forfeit your right to an answer when you rebel against God. He doesn't have to answer you. Now he goes to the false prophets. That's the leaders. Now let's talk about the false prophets. This is what the Lord says. You false prophets are leading my people astray. You promise peace for those who give you food, but declare war on those who refuse to feed you. So you see the manipulation that's going on there. They're like, oh, you want a blessing from God? Okay, it's going to cost you. I shouldn't have to pay for a blessing from God. I shouldn't have to pay for you to pray for me. Are you kidding me? Well, if you want, if not, then I don't know. Hellfire and brimstone. I'll call down fire upon you. Or like, what, what is this manipulation thing? It was happening in Israel. It has happened throughout all of church history. And even to this day, this kind of shenanigans is going on. These are false prophets. They're leading the people astray. They're promising peace for those. I'll give you a good message if you give me a little bit of cash. I'll tickle your ears. I'll tell you what you want to hear. If you keep putting money in that box, the moment you stop putting money in that box, well, God's going to get you. I got no messages for you other than God's going to get you. So you better, out of fear, empty out your pockets. Like, this is robbery. This is manipulation. What, what is going on? But these are false prophets. The problem within this scenario is that a lot of the people didn't recognize them as false prophets. They recognized them as prophets. How do you know the difference between a false prophet and a true prophet? The word of God. The word of God. Is what they're saying, does it line up with the word of God? If it doesn't, false prophet. Okay? If they write you a letter saying, hey, God has given me a new word and all this stuff, my warning flags go up immediately. I'm like, a new word? Did he need to add to what he's already completed? I don't need a new word. No, no, no. He showed me a special revelation. Oh, has he? I don't think we need a new revelation. A new vision. Okay, I'm, I, I'm down with visions and dreams and all that fun stuff. But if it doesn't align with the word of God, I don't have time for it. And neither should you. And definitely don't pay those people money. 
don't give them anything, right? Like, no, let's cut that thing off. Like, no, we're not paying you anything. These guys were taking advantage of, of people. This is what they were known for. If you don't give us money, war is coming, is coming to you. Here's what is in store for these false prophets. Now the night will close around you, cutting off all your visions. Darkness will cover you, putting an end to your predictions. The sun will set for you prophets. Your day will come to an end. Then you seers will be put to shame, and you fortune tellers will be disgraced. You will cover your faces because there is no answer from God. Like, time's up. Time's up. These false prophets were parasites of the rich, essentially. And the spiritual blindness, in a sense, is what's going to come over them. It's like, you won't see. You won't. Essentially, it's like these same idols that you guys are notoriously worshiping, you're essentially going to become like that. Deaf, dumb, and blind. Like, your days are done. Your days are numbered. No longer will this be allowed. And praise God for that. They're taking advantage of people. One day, there will come a day, hopefully in the near future, where this will be true of all false prophets, false preachers, pastors, fake Christians, all that. Eventually, the sun is going to set on all of them. Look at Micah, though. So he describes these guys, the false prophets, but look at how he frames himself out. I mean, this is Micah being used by the Holy Spirit to write this. So this isn't him bragging about himself. He says, but as for me, I'm filled with power. Way nice, Micah. He's like, I'm filled with power. With what? With the Spirit of the Lord. I'm filled with the Spirit of God. What's the difference between me and you? I'm filled with the Spirit of God. You false prophets, you're, you're just full of yourself. He says, I'm filled with justice and strength, the very things that these guys were lacking. Or you could say justice and courage. To boldly declare Israel's sin and rebellion. So the false prophets are like, no, don't worry about it. You're good. You're doing great. Couldn't be better. You're killing it. When the religious and the whole sacrificial system and all that, God loves you. He's so proud of you. Everything you're doing, man, he just, he couldn't love you any more than he does now. Those are the false prophets. Give me some more money and I'll, I'll heap some more gratitude onto you guys and all that. And Micah's like, no, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. I got boldness. I got courage. And my message is, you're a bunch of sinners and you're living in rebellion. That's a spirit-filled message. That's a spirit-filled message. Being able to say, yeah, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. Like what you think is good is not good. You're actually not following God. You're not hearing him because he's not talking to you, but he has talked to me, and you're in sin, and you're in rebellion. He says, listen to me, you leaders of Israel. This is his other charge, this listen. He uses this a handful of times. You hate justice and twist all that is right. You are building Jerusalem on a foundation of murder and corruption. Your rulers make decisions based on bribes. You priests teach God's law only for a price. You prophets won't prophesy unless you are paid. Yet all of you claim to depend on the Lord. No harm can come to us, you say, for the Lord is here among us. This is just how ignorant they are to this spiritual reality of like God had long since abandoned them. He wasn't talking to them. And yet they thought, no, we're doing God's work. We're doing the Lord's work. 
And Mike is like, no, actually you're not because you priests, you're only going to teach if somebody pays you. You prophets, you're only going to prophesy unless somebody pays you. You hate justice. He's like, you despise everything that God has put you in a position to lead as. You hate all of that stuff. And then you have the audacity to think that God's with me in this right now. The Spirit of God's, he's here with me. And Mike is like, no, the Spirit of God is here with me. You're a sinner. You're in rebellion. You can tell he's probably not the most popular guy in, in Israel at this moment in time, right? I mean, he had contemporaries going on. You know, he's a contemporary of Isaiah, and, and there's another minor prophet that he's a contemporary of. But the ones who speak the truth are never the popular ones, for the most part. The ones who are willing to be bold and stand for actual truth and justice, and they're not really like that much. People don't like that. And what was true back then is, is true today as well. Now, there's some encouraging news on the church front, although the, the church numbers in America are continually declining. Church attendance is continually on the decline. Nobody should be surprised by that at all, by the way. We should not be surprised by that at all. That's the way it's supposed to go, right? We would like for it to trend upwards. There are some churches that are seeing trends upwards. And the common denominator behind all churches that are experiencing growth right now are ones that just preach the Word of God, usually verse by verse and chapter by chapter. Those churches are seeing growth. A lot of other churches that are like more of just kind of tickle your ear and do whatever it takes to get you in the room so we can look like we're doing a bunch of good stuff, they're seeing their numbers just continually declining. So there is good news. I mean, the Lord is obviously still on the move, and he's still doing stuff. But I would hope that even as we as individuals can take on more of a Micah-type attitude of like, I'm just, look, I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm here to serve the Lord. I'm going to stand for truth. I'm going to represent God. I pray every single day that the Holy Spirit would fill me and empower me every single day. And multiple times on Sundays and Thursdays, to be honest with you. If you don't see me out here, probably because I'm hiding in my office on my face praying. It's usually what's going on. In case you're like, where's James at? Doesn't like to hang out anymore. Now I'm praying that God would please fill me with the Holy Spirit before I come out here. Because I, I know the weight of this. I know the weight that this thing carries. Mike, is, he's a bold man standing for truth and surrounded by a bunch of people who are just completely bought off into trying to find hope and significance and pleasure and all this other stuff and things that are everything but God. F.B. Myers said, he's an old dead guy, he said, who I really love his writings, he says, those who reject the moral claims of God on their conduct can look for no comfort in his promises. I'll read it again. Those who reject the moral claims of God on their conduct can look for no comfort from his promises. You can't live in outright rebellion and just think like, well, God owes me this. He owes me this. He promised this. And it's like, yeah, well, you're supposed to be devoted to him. Didn't you make a promise too? And that's essentially what the nation of Israel was doing. They had just abandoned God in all aspects of their lives.
Have you ever noticed how little kids try to get away with something? Like sneaking a chocolate chip cookie out of the cookie jar. They think they've succeeded, except for that smudge of chocolate left on their cheek. Talk about a tell-all sign. They can't see it, but anyone who looks at them can. Misbehavior has a way of being found out, just as wrongdoing can't hide in the light of God's truth. We see this in the stories of the minor prophets that were sent by God to reveal the sin and the traps that the people of Judah fell prey to. But in the midst of it all, we see Jesus fighting for his people. How? Through these messages. Through continually picking sinners up by their bootstraps with convicting yet encouraging words to live fully surrendered. You've just heard from Pastor James Grizzle and the ministry of Bread for the Broken out of Calvary Galveston in Galveston, Texas. We appreciate you taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us today, and our prayer is that you'll find exactly what you've been looking for. We're a group of people of all ages coming together to magnify Jesus. We'd love to have you come join us for a Sunday morning service or a Thursday evening service. You can find out more on our website, breadforthebroken.com. If you feel a nudge from the Holy Spirit to help us spread the good news of the gospel, then click on that donation tab. Once again, that's breadforthebroken.com. Well, that's all that we have for today's edition with Pastor James Grizzle, but we look forward to meeting with you again here on Bread for the Broken. Let me paint the picture of you.